Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alexander Gangarizzi, joined as always by Sammy Rowan, and we're we're back with some more Vancouver Whitecaps chatter. It's been a while, bit of a bit of some busy weeks here, but uh things for the Vancouver Whitecaps can't say they've they've been too great. Last time we were on the show, we talked about a Vancouver Whitecaps victory. It seemed like it was the first of many. The first of a long string of them. You got some decent games coming up, but uh, alas, it wasn't meant to be. The Vancouver Whitecaps are back in the danger zone. Losses, draws, everything piling up. It's not looking too great. The Whitecaps with just one win and one draw in seven games. They continue to struggle. We're going to dive into all of that and a lot of interesting stuff with the Vancouver Whitecaps team right now. Uh, you know, even some rumored players that we maybe even haven't touched upon, some past results. But uh, before we get into all that, Sam, it has been a while. How are you doing this fine week of April? Yeah, apologies to any listeners out there that uh, there was no pod between the last two matches. It, it turns out maybe that was a good thing because uh, it was a struggle. First against Portland, then against Montreal. Uh, there, there was that hope after the SKC home win that, you know, maybe things are turning around for this side and a uh, couple heartbreakers since. So we're going to dive into all that good stuff. Look for, Looking forward to Austin this weekend. Then there's another break because the match against Seattle was postponed. So weird sort of early season doldrums here. Hard for the Whitecaps to really develop momentum. Uh, it's time, I think, for some changes. And it sounded from what I heard from Vanny Sartini earlier today, that changes are coming for this Austin uh, matchup. They realize that, you know, off to the worst start in, in MLS franchise history, something different needs to happen. And so I think we're going to see that on the weekend and that is potentially exciting. And then based on however that match goes, they'll, they'll have to take it from there. So uh, yeah, Alex, where, where do we want to start here? I mean, since we since we are playing catch up, I mean, well, we won't touch on it too much. I feel like a lot of it is related, thankfully, and also not thankfully. Vancouver Whitecaps versus Portland Timbers will certainly address it. Um, I mean, I, I made it out for that one. Was hoping for a little more derby game. I was. It's always exciting to see those sort of derby games. First, felt like proper Cascadia clash for the Whitecaps, at least at home. In the last few years, obviously on the road, the U.S. is different, but with the new. No restrictions. He thought it was going to be an intense game, but right now, obviously, the Portland Timbers going through a bit of turmoil at the the club level is, uh, you know, on their end. The Vancouver Whitecaps not doing so great as well. It kind of reflected in the match itself in terms of the crowd that showed up for for both teams on the pitch. It was actually a pretty entertaining game from a neutral standpoint. I mean, any day you got three penalties, a bunch of VAR, a couple nice goals some shocking defending from both teams. It's going to be fun, but for the Vancouver Whitecaps at home, the way that they defended on some of the goals, they, they, they held possession for good chunks of the game, but it just felt like every time Portland had a chance and ended up in the back of their net and they end up losing three, two. And, and when looking back, that's a result where it really felt like, you know, as much as of course you never want to lose at home, but it really felt like a game that they should have won based on how they played, based on who they were playing, based on everything. And and especially after this latest Montreal result, that that feels almost more true uh, two weeks on from it. Yeah, an absolute missed opportunity. And I think you can look at one player in particular that kind of exemplified that match, right? It was, it was chaotic in the best way and in the worst way. And Christian Dahomey was just everything that match was, right? <laughs> You know, taking a penalty, conceding a penalty, uh, involved in goals at both ends of the pitch. Uh, you know, he he had his hands all over the match, 
and overall i don't think it was a great showing from daho but like there were good oh mo- there were good moments uh, it was just it was messy that match the first half was very sort of plodding and deliberate there was a lot of technical stuff in possession and then as the second half built up it just you know a runaway train the wheels flew off the doors flew off like it, by the end of the match it was just complete chaos so it was fun to watch but then obviously you know the white caps i think had to come away feeling like they were the better team but individual moments of switching off of not being alert uh really cost them so so it was tough yeah and and i think daho was just the perfect example of that i'm just looking back at the stats because i just kind of wanted to refresh and like as, as much as the you know the stats don't paint the full picture that really does i mean possession 50 50 i think that sounds about right to be honest the white caps probably had the more dangerous possession if that can be a thing it felt like for the most part not, you know neither team was sw- overly productive but then every scoring chance that was created was incredibly high quality which was kind of funny well for the white caps they had 17 shots which has to be one of their highest of the year they have seven shots on target which is like we always talk about how they never get shots or shots on target they did that this game and for once they kept portland to five shots Four of them on target, yes. That is a bit of a, a worry to see f- that many shots on target for such little shots or such few shots. Portland's XG was 1.3, and they had a penalty. So if you cut out the penalty, which is like MLS has a 0.78, they they gave up 0.5 XG to Portland, and they still they conceded two goals from that, which just yeah. kind of tells you the story of the game because, yes, the Whitecaps had two penalties, so they didn't do too great in the XG department either because they had 2.5. So if you remove the two penalties, it's about 1.1 of open play XG, which isn't great. But when, you know, the fact that they, they allowed such few XG from Portland and still allowed three goals, I mean, it, I don't think it was what, uh, at least it's not what I expected heading in the year based on the signings, based on everything. The Whitecaps' defense right now actually is arguably more of the problem than you know than than anything, and that's that's the biggest surprise. You looked at the roster, you looked at the fact they added Tristan Blackman. You know, yes, you lose Max Crapo, and that's a bit of a worry. But Thomas Assal has been solid. You look at the numbers; they've been the numbers themselves have been average. You look at the, Thomas Assal himself; he's looked pretty good, and, and you know, been, been honestly doing pretty well considering the circumstances in which. He's played. It's really the, this sort of the defense continues to surprise. And I think this Portland game is a prime, prime example of that. Well, something we can talk about from that Portland match is just the, the lack of consistency in the back three, particularly whoever isn't named Tristan Blackman or Ranko Veselinovic, right? And so this, this applies to both Portland and Montreal, where you had Jake Nerwinski in one matchup, you had... Florian Youngvirth and the other and whether it's been Flo or Jake or or Goody who started um, at center back they just haven't been able to find any consistency I feel like this is where they I mean this goes without saying but they they miss Eric Godoy in a bad bad way right like they for whatever reason Flo Youngvirth has regressed this season has has just not looked as confident and swashbuckling as he was at the end of last year and then without that Jake is new to the center back position Goody's new to the center back position and as is well advertised Ranko does a great job 1v1 but in terms of organizing everyone communicating you, you still need that veteran head there and they just Flo's not doing the job. Jake and Goody are inexperienced. They haven't found a consistent back three. They've been rotating that one spot, and it's it's been a serious serious problem. And uh, yeah, I think that's the that's where you take a defensive unit on the whole that kind of look good on paper going in, and um, it's just the consistency has never been there, and that's really plagued them so far this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think. You still, you look at it on paper, I think it's still a good back line. I also do think it's it's not just the center backs, to be honest. Like, yes, it's also the, the wing backs, too, having, you know, the rotating cast of wing backs. But I, I don't think we expected center back consistency to be a problem. Like, I think we could oh, have no. reasonably foreseen. We, we said going into the year, like, why didn't they sign another another fullback, another wingback, you knew that might be a problem, but I don't think anyone was expecting center back to be an issue. 
And it's a very good point because, like, especially look around the league, the fact that they could have gotten Lucas McNaughton for 200K or Amir Didich made that move to the island, all of a sudden that looks a little bit worse considering the Whitecaps' uh, current situation. I mean, again, I guess you couldn't have foreseen that they'd struggle this bad because, yes, you could you could go with the whole, for, you know, visionary. Eric Goodoy is probably going to be hurt. Fair, but even without him, it's not like you still would have been like, okay, you still have Florin Young versus Flo has Jake been Nguyen's- Flo has been the real disappointment, I think. You know, Godoy, it's a 50-50, you don't know, but you felt like you had reliable center back minutes in Flo and that that Jake could fill in when you needed. And it's really hurt them that they they haven't been able to get that consistent play. I I think that's what it boils yeah. down and to. And especially when you, you you look at something like, yeah, McNaughton, you could have got him for dirt cheap or or did it, I'm sure, for dirt cheap as well. Um, but I guess let's just shift to the Montreal game and kind of, since it's just looking at both of them, the kind of the issues go across both games. I mean, in the white caps, again, in the Montreal game, they held a little less of the ball, 54% per, percent of possession for Montreal, which is fair. You're on the road. The home team does usually hold a bit more of the ball, but you know, a similar game in the sense that yes, Montreal had 12 shots, five on target. So a little more than Portland, but only 1.4 XG. So it wasn't as if they were creating a whole breadth of, of, of chances. And if anything, and what, what's nice, I guess, from our point to analyze, not so nice for the Whitecaps, six shots, three on target, 0.3 XG, a lot more reflective of what they've been throughout this season than the Portland game where maybe it was a bit of a mirage, call it score effects, call it Portland also not being as good as, as they usually are. There's a bit more of a return to what the Whitecaps, I think if you look at this Montreal game, it's a lot more of a microcosm of what the Whitecaps have been, which is, you, you, they get in these games where they don't generate many chances defensively. They give away two cheap goals that they shouldn't give away. Uh, you know, the fact that they, they give up two goals on 1.4 XG to basically gifted Montreal two goals. Then they make things interesting with their subs. And at the end, it really sums up their season. And because of that, yeah, I think this Montreal game is, is a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, you, you summed it up very well, just the, the moments of, of switching off that were in a way even more pronounced than again, you know, you thought the errors against Portland were bad, but they sort of came from the run of play or there was, it was easy to just point the finger. Whereas against Montreal, it was just a, a case of the entire team being switched off to open halves, right? It was, it felt like more of a focus issue than a, an individual error type thing. And, and that's really disappointing. I mean, especially if you're Vanny, those, those are things you shouldn't be having to account for, right? And and then Ryan Gauld coming off injured as well. Uh, you know, having your best player leave the pitch definitely does not help the game plan. And uh, yeah, I think one thing that was super, super obvious was that Ismail Kone and Victor Wanyama versus Sebastian Burhalter and Russell Tybert <laughs> was not a fair fight. Uh, you know, I think... Burhalter showed well once again, uh, but you know people people in the comments pre-match especially I, I got a lot of a lot of smoke about Russell Tiber. You know where's Vite? Where's Vite? Where's Vite? Where's Vite? Over and over and over. Uh, people were not very happy, and you know ultimately without Kyle Alexandre, without a new central midfielder that they might be looking to bring in. That was always a matchup the Whitecaps were going to lose, even if Vite was starting in the center of midfield. So uh, it goes to show where the Whitecaps still have room for improvement, especially in light of uh, of recent injury news. Yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of feels like where their games are being won or lost. Because I was thinking about it after the game. Uh, somehow as well, I made it out to Montreal for the, for the game, which... I guess from a Vancouver perspective, it's shocking. But from a Montreal perspective, Montreal's a fun team to watch. So never, never a bad thing to, to, to see future MLS MVP and USMNT player Jordi Mihaljevic. No, I mean, he should he should be in those conversations. Uh, but uh, jokes aside on, on how Greg Berhalter views the Canadian teams in MLS, cough, cough, Brian White. You just look at this Vancouver team right now. When you, when you watch them, I came, I came away and it was just... The one thought I had, and it's kind of a bit irrelevant to what you said, but it kind of is relevant. The way they have their midfield set up in terms of personnel, they can't continue with this 3-4-1-2. That's the one conclusion I came away with because I love the 3-4-1-2. I love the 3-5-2. I love any variation of the back three and teams who use it. 
who use it well. I love watching it. Like Canada's men national team, prime example. You look across the, 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 the field in that game, you look at Montreal, the way their midfield works in a 3-5-2 is magical. But when you don't have the midfield, it just really feels like a formation like that doesn't work. And for whatever reason, again, it will, looking back, it might have to be like an ESPN 30 for 30. Like what the hell did Russell Tiber eat over those three months to make that formation functional with Leonard Owusu? Because those two are nowhere to be seen this year. To be fair, Owusu's been struggling with injury, which also I do think that doesn't help that he's, he's, it's been two games now where he's kind of been out, out injured. Um, but uh yeah, the, the midfield right now for the Whitecaps is is a problem, for lack of a better way to put it, because when you're already dealing with the centre-back inconsistency, you're dealing with the wing-back inconsistency. For me, I, I, I've said it uh, before, and I'll, I'll say it again here, to make a successful 3-5-2, you need a good midfield, you need, a good wing, you need good wing-backs, and you need good centre-backs. In that order, I'd say maybe you can swap the wing-backs or the centre-mids uh, center in that order. Right now, the midfield's a mess. The wingbacks are mess. Centerbacks mess. It's, it doesn't matter. It's right now that it kind of doesn't make this sort of formation work. And the, the midfield kind of feels like an originator of that, where the Whitecaps aren't controlling play. They aren't, you know, stopping their other team. I think Kone and Wanyama were such a good example of what it should like. Like Wanyama dropping deep, just not losing possession, making the right passes, tackling guys. Kone just playing as a shuttler and kind of covering all sorts of ground. Mihailovic dropping in and joining them. The wingbacks offering them support. It's what the formation was supposed to look like. And you just look over at Vancouver it was just, they weren't able to really string together possession. They weren't able to play through the middle. It was just hit it wide, watch Dahomey Brown get cornered and lose possession. You know, Gold wasn't able to, to drop back deep enough to get involved. And if he did drop deep, it was too deep. And it was just, there's so much, you know, problem with the formation originating from the midfield. And I feel like it's kind of been the, the, the center circle, the hub of, of all the Whitecaps problems right now. Yeah, I will say just, and I'm curious for your thoughts because you you got to see it in person, Alex. Going back to the Portland match quickly, something I I picked up, especially in the first half, and I don't know if you saw the same thing, but you know, for all their defensive struggles, Christian Gutierrez and Ryan Raposo, when they were on the same side of the pitch, that was some of the brightest play kind of out of stagnant possession I've seen from this Whitecaps team this year. Goody would bring the ball up, feed it to Raposo. Raposo would combine with Gauld, and they were actually able to get it into the box and create some meaningful chances. And it just has felt like, other than that, they, they either don't have the ball playing confidence from the center backs, they don't have the dynamic wing play, and as you sort of mentioned, they just can't rely on the midfield to be part of that. They essentially have to skip that part of the pitch so uh yeah I, I think really because you don't have you don't have the midfielders right now to solve that problem so you have to look at changes at wing back changes at the number 10 which they're going to have to do because ryan gold is is out and, and then changes up front in terms of you know how you deploy your strikers to try to provide more support maybe uh, focus a little more on crossing the ball into the box, you know, muddying things up in the final third. And it did sound from what we heard from Vanny Sartini today that they're they're going to look at uh, at a different strategy because, as you said, this kind of you know possession based support based system doesn't really work when you're you're having to you know accommodate for for weaknesses in the center of the park. Yeah, no, it's exactly it. It's it's kind of like a domino effect. I'd just say right now you look at the Whitecaps lineup, it just feels like there's all these links and they're just they're just broken. I mean, the front the, you, you start, right? Like the front the front two are too isolated, the wing backs are continue to get cornered, the center backs can't play at the back. The good news is as much as they're good news, we did see uh, because I mentioned right now the I I, I personally again, no if you've listened to the show for a while, you you'll know this is very uh, not strange for me. I feel like that's the wrong word. I feel like it's new for me. Again, I love the back three. As it currently stands with the Whitecaps rod roster, if there's no Kyle Alshandre, there's no Andreas Kubas, as we'll talk about in, in a bit, the Whitecaps midfield configuration just isn't working in this formation. Although, I will admit, if they are going to stick with it, I think we saw a path to how it could work or how they could make it work in the second half when they made the changes 
when they brought on guys and started to attack those different areas. I think that was, that was key. I mean, you, you looked in the first half, they were doing nothing, at least in the second half, they were controlling a bit of play, creating some dangerous opportunities uh, and, and et cetera. So that that's, I say the one good, good news for, for, for me looking at that is like, okay, Raposo again, like you mentioned on the left side, Maybe it's Dahomey. Uh, maybe well, Dahomey will, will obviously. Well, will, sounds like he's going to be moved back up front again, which is great. Uh, funnily enough, he wasn't in this solution I provided or I was thinking of, but maybe he can be in a different way. Because so I was thinking, you just get Raposo. Maybe you get Brown or Goody out wide as wingbacks, uh, something like that. You, you you start whipping in balls to Brian White and Lucas Cavallini. I think is what that second half taught us. If you're gonna you're gonna be Three four three. You get that. The, you get your wide players. You just whip it into White Cavallini. Maybe you get Vite underneath them to, to pick up the loose trash. Maybe you get Dahomey as well, and something like that. I think that's what the the second half taught is. Maybe it's a bit simple, but right now the Whitecaps need simple because when you're when you're in a rut like this, sometimes you just need to get back to basics. So Alex wasn't on the Vanny Sartini call earlier, but that is you're dead on. Because reading between the lines, I mean, he did, he essentially confirmed that the Dahomey at wingback experiment is over. They, they've tried it. They've tried it. it About time. I he's going to go back to a, a, a second striker or a number 10. Uh, you know, we were saying it in the preseason. We've been saying it all season. Glad to see it happen. But to your point about the new way they're going to attack particularly against Austin, because I don't think their center backs are great in the air, great under pressure in the box. That's been part of the scouting report. I'd be very surprised if we saw something other than Lucas Cavallini and Brian White up front. And I would say that based on early crosses, the type of service they want to provide to those two guys, I think we see Ryan Raposo and Christian Gutierrez as wide players because those are the two best crossers of the ball uh, the two best kind of long ball service guys that that this team has so i think you're going to see a, a different attitude towards the the wing back position where they provide you know they're maybe less focused on high intensity running up and down the flanks and a little more focused on in possession uh, long balls service into the box and they're able to to fix some of their attacking problems by by modifying uh, their press off the ball uh, and, and their urgency on the ball. So I, I could see that being a path, as you said, with either Vite, either Dahomey, just sort of lurking in behind those two strikers looking to pick up the trash. And then they just, you know, again, it's it's a system that avoids the midfield in a lot of ways. But I do think that Raposo and, and Goody in particular can become a third midfielder at times and, uh, and, you know, provide some, some more classic possession as well. Yeah. And I think it's one thing that the Whitecaps will, I mean, it's interesting to see Vanny's words on that. I think that's good because it's a bit of a, I think sometimes when you're going through struggles, again, I mentioned you have to simplify, but you also just have to make the most of what you have. And we talk about the midfield for the reality is, assume the, the the Kubas signing goes through your best two best midfielders would be Kyle Alexandre and Kubas. Okay. In that case, you can play to their strengths. You play in a three, five, two, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Gald atop them, Vite coming off the bench, et cetera, et cetera. What, with those two not there right now, you kind of have to adapt. And I think that that's what the last games have showed us the midfield right now, for whatever reason, Russell Tybert just isn't the same version of himself last year. Sebastian Berhalter can do a lot, but he's also not, you know, he's, he's only one man. He's not, you know, he's not going to be Patrick Vieira out there, like connecting box to box. So you're going to have to start adjusting your strengths. And I think you look at the Whitecaps right now in this Montreal game, what for whatever reason, as soon as they put Calvin white together, Last time they tried Cava White, which off the top of my head would have been Colorado Rapids uh, end of last year on the road. It didn't really work because they are trying to play on the ground through them. But in this game in Montreal, I noticed as soon as he came on, Cava White, you started seeing long balls. You started seeing just get the ball to repost. And I think Dahomey was the wing back at the time because he'd come off the bench or shifted there. It was just, it was great. They'd whip it in the box. You look at, first of all, White's goal, what happened, it was get the ball to Raposo, nice little cutback. Cava, obviously the failed bicycle kick, but opens up space, White scores. You look at the Toss St. Ricketts disallowed goal. 
those awful across into the box chaos with Kava White. Some of the other chances from Kevin White came off of chaos like that. There's nothing wrong with that simplicity because right now you look at the white cap strengths in their roster. It's obviously up front because white and Cavallini, two very good strikers. They've shown that so far this year, even though they each just have one goal, they've honestly been two of the brighter spots on the white caps team. Okay. That's one. Whereas the other ones probably out wide in terms of how good Raposo is looking at wing back right now, continuing to, to grow and grow. It's Christian Gutierrez, what he can deliver in terms of wide service it makes sense right now. If the white caps are struggling, get back to basics, start getting those wide balls in. And then, okay, then you get a midfield back. You get Gold, Kubas, and Alexandre Al back, which, if you think about it, they don't have their entire first choice midfield, assuming Kubas signs again. Of course, you're going to have to change the way you play. So I think it's interesting that Vanny said that, and it'll be interesting to see how it looks. But I think it's good to see him admit that because I, I think right now the white caps, the last few games, the fact that they were so adamant on their system and not switching it despite the injuries. I mean, fair. I mean, Vanny has long said that he wants to be a, a coach that no matter who's in you, you want your system to work, but there's also times where as a coach, you have to admit it's not working to seem admit that's a good, a good step. It's just a matter of, you know, will that actually show up on the pitch in this Austin game and will the white caps be able to execute on that? So the one thing I am wondering now, looking back at the Montreal match and, and talking about their, their modified play style the way that we are. I'm not saying this is a solution. It just might be a something they try in the meantime. Is Michael Baldissimo a thought there? Because, you know, I, I remember talking to Mark about this. Like, Baldi's not a high-intensity guy. It's, it's more patient on the ball, um, you know, less about pressing, more about service and long balls. Is that something where maybe Baldi has a bigger role to play than than he would. Otherwise, we did see him off the bench against Montreal in that second half. So, you know, I'm, I'm not even saying that he's a contender for a start, but but maybe that's something Vanny toys around with. For me, I'm, I'm down for, always down for a Baldi start from the offensive perspective. I think what we learned in the Columbus game is that you have to do <laughs> – be conscious of the defensive side. Of Maybe if the back line was with. a bit better right now, I'd, I'd feel more confident in that. Yeah, especially because I think Baldissimo, he's looked great in his last few appearances off the bench, but why, why has that been? He's come off either in games where the Whitecaps are trailing or leading and they're holding possession. He's all, when, when you need to hold possession, Baldi's the guy, but I actually wouldn't hate it if, say, you pair him with a Burhalter. And just tell Burhalter, like, okay, let's just hold it down. You have not to, to get defend. You have to defend because Baldi's even, not going to be there all the time. And even borderline, if you can, if you, you go screw it, if you feel like, okay, we'll bring Vita and Dahomey off the bench, if you're rocking, assuming White and Cav up top, screw it, throw in a Wusu as a third guy alongside them. Be like, just go a little stronger in midfield, go a Wusu, Burhalter, Baldissimo, but then. Uh, you, you get Baldissimo spraying the ball wide to the wing backs because that's also one thing from the Montreal game that made a huge difference is when, when he came in, Montreal had retreated into a shell and Baldissimo was just picking them apart with some of these long balls as he does in these in the right scenarios. So I think that is 100% something also to consider on top of that. It just comes to a matter of can you get your right defensive balance uh, in midfield? Can you also, you do, you, you are probably sacrificing a Vite or a Dahomey to, to bring in Baldissimo, which you do have to, you know, look, is that worth it? And it, it really depends what the Whitecaps are looking to, to embrace. But in the right scenarios, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Okay, the last guy from, from Montreal in these, these last two matches, really, that I sort of wanted to talk about and get your thoughts on was Deber Caicedo. Because it's just, it's felt ill-fated, like alongside Brian White, uh, they haven't been able to provide him the service. He's just, he's not terrific and hold up, you know, <laughs> crosses into the box don't really work for Daber. Uh, I don't know what, what his best role is in a Vanny Sartini system. It's, uh, it's frustrating. And I, and I do feel like both times looking at the T sheet, uh, the team sheet, pardon me, pre-match for, for Portland and Montreal, I was wondering why he was getting a start, not because of the quality and the effort level of the player. Cause that's always there, especially the effort level. Like he hustles, he created that one goal against Portland just by his tenaciousness, mm. but he's not a tactical fit. And that's really 
frustrated me to see Vanny over and over try to play him in a role that he's not suited for. So curious for your thoughts. I know you're a big Daber fan. So yeah, I just don't think they found the right role for him. And that second striker one, it's very circumstantial. I think the second striker role will only work if the white caps are building up more through the middle, getting him his touches, getting him in transition. I think, yeah, if they're going to go wide, get the ball wide and whip it in, it's just not going to work. Like, I think if you want Diver to succeed, you need gold, you need Kyle, you need guys in the midfield who can get him the ball and, you know, d- depend like, like, like that. So I, it's unfortunate for Diver because I think he's good. I think maybe his best role right now, as we saw last year under Vanny, might just be that super sub role. Run run with White and Cavallini right now. They look, they've looked great individually. They've now looked good in their one cameo together i just think that unfortunately leaves diver in more of a super a super sub role i've just found the last couple matches that you know when diver has tons of space offensively like when it's fully on the break um he's able to kind of have the time to make the right decisions but when it's a little more you know one touch passing in possession quick build up even a couple times when Raposo made runs down the wing and then was looking to find Daber, the runs just weren't great. He wasn't making himself an option. Sometimes he was offside. It's just, it felt like he's a little uncomfortable at that spot. And, and yeah, he might just profit off of the late game chaos um, that he's able to create. So uh, especially with someone like Daho being a bigger factor, potentially going forward, looking at two strikers, I am glad, I have to say, to see them maybe get away from that a little bit, despite the fact that I, I do like the the qualities that Daber offers. Of course, but sometimes I guess it's just yeah, it's circumstantial. It's based on the needs of uh, the lineup. But uh, I guess on, on that note, unless uh, we've kind of ran through the list pretty quickly, efficiently here, I guess one last word, because, it, you know, we, we touched on him a bit. Thomas Assault tough game for him in a sense that poor guy like he just can't catch a break with the defense in front of him right now I mean you look at the last five goals he's conceded it's one's a penalty one is just Florian Youngworth getting turnstiled by swinging swinging a mess (laughs) like batter batter like Blue Jays season started but like my goodness and you got then you got Yimmy charges the ball falls to him one of the most dangerous wingers in MLS in the box okay and then you go to this game you get Georgie Mihailovic, MV, early MVP candidate, left alone in the box for a volley. You get Romel Kyoto, one of the best number nines in CONCACAF on his day, getting played on side at the pen, at the six-yard line to, to, to take a second, take a touch, and slot home. Like, poor Thomas Assault. Like, he's actually continued to be very solid. Uh, just wanted to give a word to, to, to him because it was fun. Funnily enough, the first uh, Canada versus... Uh, in terms of Breza versus uh, Hassal was the first matchup between those two. Obviously, because Hassal did play Crepo. It was fun from a Canadian perspective because while Dane Sinclair continues to to play, like if, like his numbers right now are absurd for Minnesota, and he's kind of run away, running away with that third spot all of a sudden with how good he's been for the Canadian men's national team. Breza and Hassal are still in the mix. Injuries happen. You never know what's going to happen in this sport. Who knows how, how hot Sinclair will be in two months' time. It was just fun to see that, and I thought Hassal continued to show good things. It's really just unfortunate that all his growth and how, how good he's getting on the ball, his sweeping continues to be so clean and underrated. It's just he continues to be left hung out to dry on some of these goals. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, the, the only goal I could think of that maybe there were – you know, very, very small questions to be asked was the, the Yimmy Char one it was kind of a, a tight angle. And, and maybe you feel like he could have closed that off a little bit more, but they, as you ran through all those goals, you know, you're talking all kind of dead to rights right in front of goal. Like we're, we're not talking beat from distance where you didn't get a good read on the ball. Um, so definitely the victim of the Whitecaps' defensive struggles. And I, I think it's an easy narrative to say, oh, well, you know, they had Max Crepeau last year and it wasn't as much of a problem. But I think that's uh, that probably isn't telling the story. And uh, for me, yeah, Hassal has been a non-issue so far this year. And I hope that if they can provide some better defensive play in front of him, he's able to, uh, to you know, have some some clean sheets and some some one-goal performances to, to build the confidence. But uh 
Yeah, I was say, you always like, got to talk keeping. If, if imagine if Hassal had the the Whitecaps defense from under Vanny at the end of last yeah. year when they were they tightened things up for the most part. Like it would have been night and day in in that regard. And you do feel bad that uh, he's unfortunately not been uh, privy to that sort of uh, that that sort of defending. But uh, it is what it is. But I guess on that note. Uh, we've, we've pretty much covered Montreal. We'll we'll be back in a short sec. We'll take a quick break here on the show uh, to for, for a word from our good, good old friends at Macy's Sports. And we'll get back with the second half of the show with some Austin preview and also a look at Endress Kubas because we've name dropped him a bunch, even though we were supposed to talk about him at the second half of the show. So uh, we'll do that shortly here, but we'll be back in a second. All right, third sub listeners, quick little ad break here to thank and uh, support our friends at Macy's Sports in North Vancouver on Brooks Bank Avenue. Um, it's the off season for for some of us, right? And uh, you know, I'll be looking if I'm, if I'm back in Vancouver in the summer, going to hit Macy's up for some gear, whether it's boots, kits, shirts, whatever. Uh, you know, when I go do those Sunset Beach runs in the summer, shout out to uh, Sunset Beach. You know, if it's a little futsal, it's a little indoor soccer, it's a little uh, soccer on the pavement, doesn't matter what it is, Macy's has gear for you. So uh, they've been great supporters of, of the show, great supporters of local soccer. So uh, check out their website, check out their socials, hit them up in North Vancouver if you're in the area. So uh, shout out to them. Now back to the show. Okay, um, we're back and let's let's dive right into it. Austin FC, Vancouver Whitecaps, on the calendar. You look at it, you know. Maybe if you if you haven't watched MLS much this year, you're looking easy game, right? Last year the Whitecaps sauntered down to Austin, went down. It was was one nil at the time. I don't want to say two nil. They went down one nil, sauntered back with the Jake Nowinski goal. Uh, was Brian White's uh, goal off of what I think was Ryan Gold's first assist in MLS or one of the first assists in MLS. Two one win. But this is no longer that that Austin. This is Austin, second in the Western Conference, just two points behind LAFC, who everyone's been raving about. Four wins, two draws, just one loss, 17 goals for, seven goals against. Austin FC, second year in the league. They're starting to look legit. And playing at home, Q2 Stadium, always going to be packed. You know this is going to be packed to the brim Saturday evening down in Texas. It doesn't get much better for the Vancouver Whitecaps here, does it? They continue to, to to have to dig themselves out of a tough hole. They're not getting any sort of rest, any sort of quote-unquote easy game, huh, Sam? Well, the, the big uh, tagline there is, you know, um, other than LAFC and actually CF Montreal, who is, is third in this category, uh, you know, no other team scored – you know, Austin FC has 17 goals for, LAFC has 17 goals for, Montreal has 13 goals for, everyone else is at 11 or below. So, um, you know, that's just a just a huge goal output, obviously propelled by a couple uh, blowouts in, in their opening matchups of the season. But still, you look at the underlying numbers and they do have 14.1 expected goals. So this is not some you know, um, some massive fluke. They have gotten a little bit of help, but, um, you know, creating lots of offense. It was a problem last year. They couldn't find anyone at the striker position. Uh, They tried basically everyone. It was ridiculous. They had like 10 different starting strikers. They're able to add Maxi Arruti, longtime MLS veteran, and just having a team number nine, Vanny Sartini talked about it today, you know, someone who's willing to do the pressing, someone who's willing to do the off-ball running, someone who's willing to conduct um, that possession, that attacking play from the front line has really helped them. And then Sebastian Drusi, who um, they brought in last year, but he's really taken a huge step forward, kind of, you know, inside winger, um, forward type of player. Um, and, and then, you know, MLS vet Diego Fagundes is having a good season. They, they, they haven't made a lot of changes. They haven't made a lot of changes, but they've either had some of their players from last year get better, or in the case of an Arudi, they've added a piece they desperately needed. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's there's a lot to like with Austin right now. I think you looked at them last year 
the foundation they were setting from day one was always good in the sense they came out it wasn't chaotic they'd identified talent they picked up some really good pieces from it within mls and an expansion just again a guy like fagundes is a perfect example of getting a guy like that as your core piece uh off off new england very you know that's a good that's a good signing it's something like a lot of teams in mls could have used uh you look at you know you, you use that as a starting point and you just look elsewhere in their roster again a guy like brad stuver and goal uh, they built a very solid back line. They were a tough team to, to beat defensively. They most they lost most of their games by one goal or drew a lot of their games. Like they weren't fun to play against. So it was it was kind of easy. Oh, another one. Sorry, getting Alex Ring as well, another phenomenal MLS midfielder, using some of their jam to good uh, putting it to good use, which we don't always see from expansion teams. Cough, cough, Miami. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Austin made a lot of good decisions in terms of their foundation. It just needed goals. I think that was something we talked about last year. A number nine who can either score goals or, as we saw, a number nines don't always have to be scoring goals if, if they can play facilitator like Maxi Rudy is. And he's also scored some nice goals. I mean, that goal against, I think it was San Jose, was ridiculous a few weeks back, that volley. And they just continue to make good decisions. So I think you look at them right now, I think they're in a good spot. But at the same time, you do have to admit a few things if you're analyzing them. On one hand, their offense, phenomenal. Great to see 1.78 XG per game, second in MLS, only behind the New York Red Bulls. Uh, but on ex- expected goals against, they're also fourth uh, worst. They are worse than the White Caps at expected goals against uh, with 1.62, which is a lot. So that sounds like at, at cost of their goals, they've become a little more loose defensively. They're over-relying maybe a bit on Brad Stuver, which he was a good goalie last year. He's so far stepped up to the task this year, just seven goals against in seven games. But they are playing with fire. It is worth noting. And then lastly, you look at their schedule to start the year. Um, it's not – it's been a bit all over. You start with Cincinnati on at match week one. Cincinnati, you know, they, they have picked it up a bit, but it's still Cincinnati. You got enter Miami, which – especially at the time, you know, you, you lose to Portland, which Portland hasn't been great this year either. And that was one of Austin's own. Their only loss was to Portland. They played Seattle. Okay. Seattle is a, a good draw for them. Fair play. You, you play San Jose who fired their coach have been a tire fire. They drew San Jose two two. They play Minnesota. That was a great win. Probably their best win of them all looking. Uh, and then you do beat D- DC United, which yes, they came back from down two goals late uh away and they fired dc's coach with that result which is great but also dc at 10 men they've been struggling it uh, you know it, i'd personally put the, the 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 result over minnesota just a bit ahead but uh their schedule and their defensive xg shows that they are playing a bit with fire not to say that the white caps will change that i mean i think it's great for us and that they continue this if this start by playing Vancouver at home, I think if I'm them, I'm ecstatic at that, that matchup. But there are a few things worth noting uh, that, that aren't dangerous, but things worth watching from Austin's perspective. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's been the, I think the talk in, you know, Austin FC circles is how much do you read into that schedule? Uh, Austin supporters saying this is legit. We're a top team. Other people around the league saying, "Look at who you've played. Look at how you've won." We're not sure this is sustainable. As you said, I think that the one result you can just go and say, "Man, you guys earned it." That Minnesota one nil. That's a that's a full value result. Uh, but everything else, there's asterisks here, question mark there. Uh, you like what you've seen, but you just you don't know if that's gonna be a formula where they can consistently beat top teams in the West. And, and as you said, I mean, you know, conceding somewhere, you know, north of 1.5 expected goals per match. And yet their only loss comes, um, you know, one nil. So they've kind of been getting away with these, you know, allowing a high quality and a high quantity of scoring chances, but not being punished for it by their opposition. So uh, I'm not sure that's going to bite them against Vancouver because Vancouver hasn't been able to capitalize. Noted XG gods, Vancouver, yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But there are certainly teams in the West that will punish them at some point uh, for those kinds of errors. So they've made some improvements. uh, Well, 
I mean, they weren't a bad defensive team last year, but they've they've added a couple guys defensively at fullback and at center back. Uh, but nonetheless, even chatting with Vanny earlier today, um, this is a group that can be put under pressure. And, and I think there's a sense that if you you generate a high volume of chances, you know, the more tickets you buy to the raffle, the better chance you find the back of the net. So uh, the Whitecaps certainly plan on testing Austin, and uh, I'll be interested to track the next 5-10 matches, how this Austin team's able to keep up this form. Because like we sort of talked about, they it felt like every result that was a 50-50 last year, Austin came out on the losing side. Uh, I, I feel like when we went into previewing them against Vancouver, uh, it was Vanny Sartini's second match last season. That was kind of the narrative. Man, this is actually not a terrible team, but they find a way to lose every game. It, it's been going to happen in that Austin game. Yeah. Funnily they, enough. I mean, they Austin. dominated. Vanny said it today. They absolutely dominated the Whitecaps in the first half. Uh, and then in that second half, that's when Vanny moved to three at the back. That's when Dahomey went to wing back. And then they just didn't know how to respond. They sort of panicked and the Whitecaps stole the match. That's when the, you know, the Sartini magic truly began. Uh, both, both, both teams have come a long way since then. A lot has changed. Uh, th- this is a, it's a crucial point for the Whitecaps. It, it might be a crucial point for Austin. Are they able to, you know, if you're Austin, are you able to, to instill the narrative that we're a legitimate team. And if you're Vancouver, are you able to say, Hey, we have something else to offer We're this isn't a huge market correction. We can, we can still be a good team. So um, I'm trying to hype up a match that I don't feel like a lot of people are, are that all that excited about, but uh, I think there's, there's things that could make this quite interesting. I'll just say like, honestly, for Austin, I like the, their team a lot right now. I think, like the the way they handled expansion, the way they built in their first year, have stuck with it. Some of their signings, you got some good talent in Fagundes, Drew, C Ring. You know, that's a very good, like, you know, core piece of Rudy, very underrated and MLS always has been, probably just because of how annoying he can be to some fan bases. They've they've done a lot of things right. And I think I'll to, to say with Austin, if by any chance anyone who supports Austin happens to listen to this. I think they're in a good spot and they're a good spot to make the playoffs. It's just right now is where we're going to find out a lot about them. But what has been nice is they've put themselves in a great position to hold on to a playoff spot. I mean, so far, if they keep up what they're doing, for example, four, four home games so far this year, 10 points out of 12. That's phenomenal. You, that means three road games. They've picked up a draw and a win on the road. So four points, they're picking up points where they should pick up points that's a sign of a good team. It's just now they're going to get tested in terms of, okay, after this, uh, they, they, they play Houston away. You play LA galaxy at home. You play RSL away, LAFC away, Orlando home, LA galaxy away, Montreal away, which based on how Montreal's form there. And right now that could be a tough game in a month, uh, two months time. That's a tough schedule. That's a tough schedule after this white caps game where in the sense of there's your away games are all tough. And then your home games aren't against easy teams. Your your home to LA Galaxy and Orlando is a very good team. So I think they're going to get tested. And I think if they come out of that patch, you know, you can really, really start to believe in them as a team. And I'm already starting to buy into them, but I just do think it's one of those where they're at the prove it stage right now. You're, you're, you're an expansion team. You're early. You got to prove you're at the prove it stage, but Hey, you look at their roster there. There is a lot to like there. So uh, it's not as if, you know, there, there, it's not like they're as if they're a gang of nobody's doing, doing their job. I mean, again, yeah, we talked about some of the players, even there, there's some of their signings, like just, I think a little ones, we talk, look at their fullback, Zan Kol, Kolmanich, Slo, Slovenian, 22 years old. It's been looked very strong at left back so far. You got Gabrielson, Ruben Gabrielson at center back, Norwegian, has gotten call ups to the Norwegian national team. He's 30s, played for some big clubs, uh, you know, Toulouse. And he's played in, 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 Den- you know, in, sorry, Norway. He's played uh, for, for Copenhagen in, in Denmark. He's played for some big teams. That's a good signing at center back. And there's just a lot of little things like that in this team that there is to like. It's just they got to continue to put it together and, you know, how far can Drew see Ring and Fagundes really take this team? Those are the big questions right now. 
I think they're relatively well coached as well. We saw that last year that they were able to actually, despite the results being poor, it felt like they were extracting a decent amount out of out of what they had. And now second year in the system for some of these guys, I think we've seen a, a jump up, um, an improvement in play. Lots of young guys on the roster, kind of like the Whitecaps, uh, players you're hoping are going to continue to grow. So excited for this matchup. The one thing I did want to mention, we do very little MLS league-wide talk uh, on this podcast, but looking at the Western Conference standings, it, crazy through the first you know seven, eight matches, the teams that are below the playoff bar right now, Nashville, Portland, Colorado, Seattle, Sporting, Kansas City. Yes, That's then there's Vancouver. Wild. There's Vancouver and San Jose down at the bottom. What else is new? But those teams, Nashville, Portland, Colorado, Seattle, Sporting, Kansas City, that feels, if you take away Vancouver and San Jose, like you flip the table upside down, basically. Yeah, well, I just, you know, I've been keeping Houston, FC Dallas, LA Galaxy, Real Salt Lake, all firmly in a playoff spot. I could not have put money on that. I'd say the the two LAs being in the top three isn't a surprise, but yeah, Austin, Dallas, Houston, Salt Lake, those four. I mean, I did, I was high on Dallas based on their signings. So I, I am less surprised by that, but yeah, Houston, I mean, Texas, man, like they, they're always a tough place to play for the Whitecaps. Now but they're those, actually... those three teams were bottom three in the West for a good amount of last season. Hashtag parody, baby. Hashtag parody. I mean, Nashville for me is a big surprise. Uh, Seattle, I can see like Seattle, I can get. You're in the Champions League final. It's always, always, always very difficult. It, it doesn't matter how good you are. It takes a toll on you. You look around the league. It's no coincidence. As soon as Montreal and New York get eliminated, for example. They, they, they have Montreal hasn't sl- lost si- since. Yeah, pretty much. They've just been revigorated. Uh, you know, you look around the league, all the teams that have been eliminated have started to pick themselves up again. So Seattle makes sense. Colorado, it shows that maybe they could have used a a number nine or, 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 you know, some, some defensive uh, upgrades, but uh, yeah, it just really shows MLS wild season. Funnily enough, I would put my money uh, if I would be honest on like a Seattle, a Colorado and SKC, making it back in the playoffs. Hey, maybe even Vancouver. No, I can't be that optimistic, but uh, <laughs> we, we do know those three will certainly make a push, but it is funny to, to, to look at. That's for sure. All right. Well, uh, final thoughts here. Any, anything else we need to round up? Uh, I think that was pretty wide ranging. There's, you know, we, we looked back a little bit at the struggles, the past two matches. Uh, we talked about, what we've heard from Vanny, what we're thinking in terms of a, a pathway out of this poor start. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts here before we sign off? Well, let's do it. Some rumors. It's been a while. Whitecaps linked to midfielder Andres Cubas, Paraguayan. 10 out of 10 uh, pronunciation, by the way. I, I hope so, but he's a Paraguay Argentina dual national. Uh, it says on transfer marks that he's uh, locked in with Paraguay. Not sure he hasn't doesn't have any cap, so obviously it means he could uh, still represent Argentina. Obviously, Argentina won heck of a national team, uh, etc. Irrelevant. He currently plays for Nîmes Olympique in Ligue 2. Uh, they got relegated last year uh, down to Ligue 2 uh, after a couple of years in Ligue 1, if I'm not mistaken. So far this year, it's been a bit of a struggle. They're mid-table. They're 10th. It doesn't look like they're going to get the playoff. They're just a few games to go. So it's a good move for, for a guy like Kubas to move to MLS, I think, from uh, Ligue 2. Uh, he's been at Nîmes since July of 2020. So he, he was there, got a, got a taste of a Ligue 1, it looks like. And otherwise, very good. Like, you look at the resume. Like, he spent time at Boca Juniors. Uh, he's, he's, he went to Pescara in Italy for a bit, then went back to Boca Juniors, Defensa, uh, you know, he, he, he's kind of gone through the Argentine ranks and for the Whitecaps. I think players they've signed from the Argentine leagues have typically done well for them. It's a league that matches up well for MLS. He's, he's uh, I, I asked someone who watches Neem uh, regularly, and I have been told by someone also who watches a lot of Libertadores. So they've kind of seen a lot of South American football over the years. 
they were both told me about Kubas is, you know, a strong defensive midfielder can control games in, in tempo. He's, he's kind of like a number six, typical number six, but also has a decent bit of possession on him. You look at the Whitecaps team that has, that is a need of theirs, obviously, since they decided to loan out Janio Bikel, looking back a few weeks later or months later, a little, almost inexplicably based on how the, the season's gone. Uh, but it looks like a very tidy replacement. Doesn't sound like he'll be a full DP. He's 25, so he's still young. Lots to like with the, the overall Kubas signing in terms of what they need. It all, so, uh, I mean, Sam, I'll just throw it to you in, in, in terms of thoughts because those are his kind of his vitals, so to speak, that i uh, dived into. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, kind of combining the, the video clips I've watched, that scouting report that, that you were able to procure, and thinking of comps, it, it kind of feels to me like he's, you know, he's that kind of, that possession regain demon that, that you want. He's, you know, kind of Yanio Bikel, Sebastian Berhalter mold, but seems to come with the ability to really control play on the ball and kind of, you know, facilitate, um, you know, kind of the transition between winning the ball back and and then getting out on the attack, which, you know, I think we've seen a Burhalter has flashes of kind of being able to do that, but obviously it's not consistent. And when you have Russell Tybert alongside you, it's difficult. And then obviously Kubas comes with the the resume, the the experience, uh, especially in very comparable leagues, as you said, and, and leagues that tend to translate well. So uh, you have to be excited about an Alexandre uh, Kubas midfield i think even with gold in front of them and vite but even if alex alexandre is out and, and you're able to get kubas in and throw him in with a burhalter for the moment like i i think you're just you needed at least that one player um in there you can really rely on to to take control and facilitate and it, it does sound like he he has that ability um you know he's been at big clubs anyone who's been in a club like like Bocas, like you, you under, that's a big club. You understand the pressure, the, you know, he's, he's going to be under more scrutiny in, in that scenario than he's ever going to be under in Vancouver. So I, I don't think you have to worry about his mentality um, adjusting to expectations or anything like that. So we'll obviously have to see if, if the deal gets done, which it, it sounds like it's going to how he integrates, but to me, he seems like a, a plug and play type of guy. And if you're able to get a premium version of a Bikel or a Burhalter, that's, that's always a useful player to have. And, and the one, the white caps really, really need right now. You, you have to wonder why they couldn't get something like this done in the off season, but Hey, better late better, than never, right? Better late Maybe. than never. Yeah. The white caps want the prototypical. They want the Seattle model these days. Just go, go ham in the second half of the season. But, uh, no, Kubas, I think it, it, it brings a lot to the White Caps in terms of what they need. We talked about it. They needed it would it would be nice for them to use that. At, you know, get a Tam borderline U twenty three DP. It looks like he's going to be more of a Tam because he is obviously twenty five. Uh, and then midfield, it opens up so much possibility as a number six. I'm just thinking now. And you keeps can, keeps example, roster flexibility long term too, right? You still have spots, um, options to to play. You still with. have a U twenty three DP. Yeah by the way, for example, and like, it just brings flexibility to the roster. For example, I'm just thinking off the top of the bat, having a number six allows you to play Michael Baldissimo without as much worry playing a number, having a number six, like Kubas allows you in the right situation to go screw it, play gold and Vite as dual eights in front of a guy like Kubas, you know, you have a guy like Kubas allows you when Kyle Alexandre comes back, you can kind of mimic a, a, a Wanyama Kone pivot where a guy like Kyle will be more in a free roll and a guy like Kubas will be holding it down. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, just to add to it, he's played over 6,000 minutes in the top Argentine division, 2,000 minutes in Ligue 1, uh, nearly 2,000 minutes in Ligue 2, 1,000 minutes in Libertadores uh, as well, which is uh, pretty impressive. He's also played in Serie A, eight minutes in Serie A. I just find that hilarious that... Uh, he somehow managed to slip that in while he was at the Pescara. Uh, so he's certainly, he's, he's played, uh, he's, he's been at a good level. I think, yes, you can worry about the Ligue 2, but one thing I was told is that apparently one issue was his, uh, it sounded like his wife, I think it was, struggled to adapt to France. Uh, so that kind of played in his head a bit. Maybe a fresh start going to Vancouver. Mostly, 
that, that's, you know, hopefully going to a place like Vancouver, maybe that can be the, the sort of tonic they, they kind of need to get that, that fresh start mentally being on the West coast. So otherwise, other than that, so much to, to, to like, I think with the overall profile, the, 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 the fit, the fact it's not going to be a DP, uh, it's just a question. Okay. Does he adapt? Uh, and of course, as a white caps, does he get his visa? Apparently he's in New York right now, sorting out his visa. So hopefully that can be sooner uh, rather than later. But uh, other than that, lost to like here, I'd say. And we'll just say, you know, about that adjustment process. Uh, great to have such a, not only, you know, a good host of South American, Central American players on the roster, but also, you know, guys like Dahomey, Eric Godoy that, um, just really good guys and kind of have, have a track record of bringing people in and being, you know, providing that sort of leadership or, you know, Hey, you, you need something from me. I'm here for you. So uh, I don't think he'll have to worry too much about that. And obviously Vancouver, not a bad place to play your professional football either. So we'll be exciting if that gets across the finish line, uh, what Vanny Sartini is able to, to play with tactically and how he fits into maybe this new look Whitecaps team, uh, slightly adjusted team we see this weekend. Because I, I think there's going to be noticeable shifts in the way Vancouver plays. Does that lead to results? That is for us to find out on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is a, it's a crucial point. We keep saying it. And I think if you're the Whitecaps, you need to find form ASAP, of course, for the playoffs. But uh don't look now, but I'm pretty sure the Whitecaps have two more games before they play Valor. It is. After this, it's Toronto in two weeks because of, the, obviously, the postponement of Seattle. That's scary. There's not much run That is scary. And, and, like, Valor, yes, they haven't been playing too great themselves. They lost to Pacific in a wild, wild game at Starlight this past weekend. I mean, shout out to, to, to Pacific and versus Valor. That was one heck of a game. They also... Uh, uh, dropped uh, the point on the, the road. It was first week against Edmonton. Still any team coached by a Phil DeSantos fired by the white caps heading to BC place, the white caps in bad form, their history against CPL teams. You'd like to head into that game in, in good form. So uh, the white caps, it would be nice for them to find some sort of wins. I'd say wins. Cause you only have two games, try to win both uh, at least a win beating a Toronto team in form also wouldn't hurt in two weeks time. So uh, it's a big period for the caps. It's really funny how it snuck up on us, but uh, that Valor game is starting to loom real large. Cause especially if you keep losing the way it's set up for them this year, we talked about it. Like there is, this is, I don't think it gets any better than this for a white caps draw in the champion in, in the, the Canadian championship. No MLS teams till the final, all CPL teams, it, almost all your games at home, you'd host the final at home, like the white caps, especially if you have a bad MLS season, you need to do well in the Canadian championship. So that Valor game is all of a sudden lo- looming a lot larger than uh, it might've a few days ago. So just before we sign off here, I don't want to be that guy, but I, but I have to be that guy. If they lose to Austin on the road, they lose to Toronto at home, and they lose to Valor at home, is Vanny Sartini still the Vancouver Whitecaps head coach? I personally would say yes, but man, that's a tough discussion to have. I think that's like, at that point, you just might... If this was a FIFA team, I think you just hit the delete club button and you, you start again, and maybe maybe you try to, to try to get in on that Langley team. Uh, over, what what over you Langley. do in that scenario is you haven't auto saved up until that point in the season, so you just go back to the start and try again. Yeah, I mean, maybe we just like exit this simulation in which uh, that we're living and and try or you, no or genuinely you just you sell your stake and move the team to like. Tacoma or something like random like that or like I think like you though actually I think even if they lose all three of those matches I still think Vanny Sartini is the head coach of the Whitecaps oh for sure I think you look at the guys coming back I think you see how early it is in the season the door won't be closed for the Whitecaps I don't think until July I think that's kind of the date where if you're an absolute tire fire by July you'll be out even last year as you saw it's going to be tight I think this year uh, so for them, I think because of that, they'll, he'll still be good for a while, especially once they get Kyo, Godoy, you get Kubas back in the picture, you, you sort out your center back situation. The pieces are there, but again, at a certain point, you do need results. I just think it's unfortunate because this is this has to be a year to do well in the Canadian Championship, especially look at the team that Whitecaps have. 
like not saying they do well in Champions League. I, I just think it's too early to say that. But the way they're trending, like they have a lot of good pieces for Champions League. Like I would love, based on how young their their core guys have Gald, Kayo, White. Heck, if you keep Cava around for that, Dahomey, Caicedo, Godoy, like it'd be fun to see those guys in the Champions League. So I think it'd be it, it, it makes doing having a run in the in in the sorry the Canadian Championship a bonus just based on how it's lined up for them too. Like it's too good of an opportunity uh, to miss. So I guess we'll we'll see how they they fare. It's, it's again, if you didn't if if you were maybe turned a bit off by the idea of Vancouver Valor. It might be a bit more worth it based on the current context of the white cap season, let's just say. Well, and selfishly, uh, beyond the results, I just want to see the white caps play more Canadian championship matches. And if they don't win, you don't get to see more than one a season. So I- I'm I'm hoping they get a win just so we can have more of these Canadian championship matches to talk about because it's a lot of fun. That's it. And it's it's sad to watch other teams enjoy that those runs where the white caps are just like. <laughs> let's yeah let's lose to cpl teams uh non-stop but uh on that note i think that's a good spot to, to end the show a good good little catch up on episode 131 we'll be back soon with more probably in podcast form live show might be a bit unattainable this weekend as it was last weekend so if you're, you're hearing it here first you are looking forward to the live show i don't look for it. I guess this weekend we'll 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 obviously stay in touch in Twitter if we are to do one uh, for the next games. Maybe Toronto, maybe the Canadian Championship would be a fun one. We'll have to figure out for for all that. But uh, we'll certainly be doing a little more of these, especially as we hit the summer. School and other commitments start to fall off. the The summer, the sun's out. More time. We'll certainly get continue to get in the swing of things. But on that note, you find me on Twitter at Alex. Gange Ruzik at BTS Fan City, btsfancity.com. Find all my work, be it for, for one soccer or the Canadian Premier League as well. Been fun to cover first few uh, games of the season for them and to continue doing that. It's been, you know, been a fun start to the CPL season. We'll definitely have to dive into some CPL chatter on here as the year goes along and we get stuck in. Uh, but uh, all that work and more can be found on there. So I'll throw it to, to Sam to, to, to close things out. Yeah, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com for all my written stuff, all our Vancouver Whitecaps coverage, guests starting 11. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be we'll be back with more soon. You can find the podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, the Third Sub on Instagram. Didn't want to forget that. And uh, looking forward to this weekend, maybe a little bit of positive momentum to get built up week off for everyone to get healthy then right back at it with a couple all canadian matchups so uh despite the fact the form has been poor uh maybe you know some good times coming for the white caps if they're able to turn things around so uh watch out for us on on your socials and we'll chat again soon